hey, there's lots of services out there that talk about Google reviews. But why don't you listen to a couple of users of Clinic Gym Connect who talk about how easy it can be to get Google reviews through text messaging. Remember, texts get opened five times more than emails. So if you're sending requests for Google reviews, man, oh man, is it worth your time to send it via text? Here's Mark and Carson talking about their experience using Clinic Gym Connect. We have a automation set up where it sends them a text responding to it saying, hey, thanks for your feedback. Would you mind sharing that in the form of a Google review? Leave the uh, link in there. It's a simple click. And we've seen some success with that. Out of the nine and tens, I would say it's about 25% leave Google reviews. We had one patient a couple of weeks ago who, you know, wasn't really warm when they came in. We uh-huh. sent them through the new patient campaign, sent them a picture, made it easy for them to get here. Seemed fine at checkout. And then I go and get a notification that night that they left us a five-star Google review. So I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. So it just shows that, you know, you never know how everybody's going to react. On my calls, when I originally pick up the phone, oh, why'd you you choose us? What brought you here? I've gotten a handful that say, no, well, on Google, seen a bunch of good things being said. So that's one of the first things I look at. And it made it easy for us to pick you. So just like that, you can collect a bunch of text message-based Google reviews. Now, Mark and Carson have done a great job of this, but I have to tell you, we have another user who sent out a boatload of requests and in one weekend got 64 new Google reviews. I mean, talk about success. So if you're interested in those kind of numbers, check out clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com or email me and be happy to set up a demo for you. Thanks a lot. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist that believes in exercise, wants to make some money, and wants to provide the absolute best care for your patients? Well, then you are in the right place. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and this is Clinic Gym Radio, where we talk about the Clinic Gym hybrid model, which is combining the best parts of healthcare with active care and fantastic exercise programs to get patients the best care they can while helping you make more money in this game. This is Clinic Gym Radio, and I'm Dr. Josh Satterley. I'm excited for you to be here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's my honor today to be joined by Dr. Brett Winchester. Brett, how are you, my man? Doing great, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, all, all is good here. So Awesome. So where are you calling in from today? We are in Troy, Missouri. So right. Uh, right outside St. Louis, we're about probably 50 minutes away from the arch. Uh, and that is where, uh, that's basically where we started our practice. So the the practice awesome. is almost 20 years old, and, uh, and that, that's where we are. I've seen the movie, Troy. It's a documentary, right? And you're Brad Pitt, essentially? <laughs> or is that a I different wish. Subject? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> Unfortunately not. All right. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, so, Brett, you've been a, a chiropractor for how many years now? I am in my – I graduated in – I'm actually staring at my diploma right now. I graduated in 2003, so I guess I'm in my 18th year. That's awesome, man. All right. And you have uh, certainly learned about everything that you could get your hands on, right? You've talked to every smart person you could ever meet. You've had dinner with some, taken courses from others, um, and you continually push the limits. I I do notice that following you on Instagram now is like, uh, it's like watching a, a living map of the greatest providers and where they're from. Like I just saw you were talking to Jim Jim Andrews down in Florida at the Andrews Institute, the probably the most famous orthopedic surgeon in the world. Um, what else have you done? You've you talked to Gary Gray uh, at his at the Gray Institute. What are some what are some recent highlights you've hit? 
physically going to these places? Uh, I guess the most recent ones. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did Gary Gray. We did uh, Mike Leahy. Um, obviously, James Andrews was big. So, yeah, we're just trying to hit, you know, all the best people in the world in the world of manual therapy or, or rehabilitation and, and really kind of sit down and, and try to sift through. Because like with any technique system, I feel like, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of fluff. So being able to kind of like really kind of sort through their their model without bastardizing it, find out what we like, and uh, and that's basically been the the goal from the beginning. And uh, yeah, it, what's been fun is like what started is just like kind of a passion project during COVID uh, has just basically now exploded. Now now people are coming to us wanting to be on. So that's uh, that's kind of been the fun part to watch it all kind of transpire. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I saw you. Did a podcast from uh, Vegas with Brandon Steele, uh, which I, <laughs> I I thought was the funniest thing. Like, hey guys, let's meet up in Vegas. What do you want to do? We'll do a talk. Uh, we'll talk about a podcast for uh, you know how to treat the human body. And I, I I hope somebody in the room was like, man, remember when we used to go to Vegas to like drink and get girls? Like, what are we doing here with our lives? You know? Yeah, <laughs> our Vegas trips have definitely evolved and changed since uh, yeah. since twenty years ago, probably. So awesome. Well, next time you're in Vegas, man, I got a great uh, a great restaurant to recommend to you. Um, do you like sushi? Love sushi. All right. So this place, they it's always chefs tasting. It's tiny, twenty seats, fourteen seats, something like that. And uh, I'm gonna text you a picture of why I want you to go there, but it's the most amazing place ever. So they only make you what they think is is good that day. So oh, wow. anyways, that's for next time. But yeah. uh, I want to dive into a couple questions here, Brett, because uh, you, you know, we talk all about the clinic gym hybrid kind of methodology here, and you've been doing that on your own for 100 years now. And um, you know the power of, of rehab, you know the power of exercise, and when those are the best tools for the job. And then it seems like you also are acutely aware of nearly every other tool or every other way to manually treat somebody. And you seem to have a great clinical brain about when to use one. So fascial manipulation plays a role, but it doesn't play every role, right? Uh, ART plays a role, but it doesn't play every role. Adjusting, you know, you're an instructor for MPI and DNS and probably the FBI. I mean, I don't know, every three-letter acronym you can get. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but, no, um, a, that's a really good point. I think that's where like the the new contemporary chiropractic student is a little bit lost right now. They're, you know, they're taking all these seminars and they're not understanding how to integrate in. And, and probably the biggest mistake I see is that they're trying to do it all within a visit uh, and not understanding like when to use what tool at the right time. And, uh, and because of that, I, I honestly think the results aren't as good. And, you know, I mean, when, when I got, to, when I graduated 20 years ago, it was basically, you know, there was ART, there was, you know, MPI or being good at manipulation. And then there was like Craig Liebenson's rehab and that was basically it. So it was actually way easier 20 years ago because there wasn't just, there wasn't as many options, you know? So that's kind of the hard part. And then, and then as you know, obviously, cause you're the expert in it, you know, now these new students, they're, you know, they know the benefit of exercising their patients. So then trying to like integrate that into to their model on top of trying to run an office on top of trying to be, you know, a good physician. It's uh, I'm not saying it can't be done because it can be, but it can be overwhelming. And that's why you got to use, you know, consultants like yourself or uh, or find somebody that can help you through that because it, it can just be very daunting to try to do that on your own. Yeah, I think it's a huge, a huge point. I had this experience in college that you're 
that I, I share every once in a while, but you just reminded me of it. A, f- a friend of mine, her dad was like an excellent mechanic. And I said, hey, I, the brakes are going out of my truck. I need to you know, change the brakes. And he asked me like, oh, okay, what do you have? And uh, well, it wasn't even my truck at the time, actually, my minivan that I, a sweet minivan I drove in college. But anyways, he asked me like a couple questions. He's like, all right, well, I'll be down there Saturday. He lived like a couple hours away. He was coming down to see his daughter anyways. And he shows up with... I can't even describe how small this toolbox was. It was the <laughs> smallest toolbox, and it had like three wrenches, a small hammer, a, a socket, like three different sockets. And it like he opened it up, and it looks like if you went to a garage sale and somebody's like selling their grandpa's stuff, like, oh, we had this extra piece of crap around here, you know? And he opens it up. I'm like, what? what's that? And he's like, it's my toolbox. Like, we're going to do the brakes, right? I was like, yeah, but there's nothing in there. And he like looks at me like weird. And, uh, and I had like, you know, my big, like huge plastic case of like Husky, like every size three eighths drive impact and this and that wrenches and all the shit, screwdrivers, bags and bags and bags of tools. So I have them in the back of the van, you know, just in case. And I was like waiting for the moment when I was going to pull this out and impress my friend Lindsay's dad. Right. And, uh, sure enough, this guy like has the right socket to take the, the tire off. Then uses one of the wrenches to undo a bolt, use the other wrench for the other one, takes a flathead screwdriver, boom, changes out the pads and puts it all back together with maybe four tools. Maybe. I may, you know, if it went to five, it would have been the hammer banging on stuff, but that was it. And it was like, in that moment, I realized, holy crap, I have all these tools of which, but I have no expertise. Like I, you know, I, I don't even know which ones I confidently can throw away. And I look in the toolcast, it's like, there is no bolt this, you know, two inches big on my car. Why do I carry a two-inch wrench or something like that? You know, it's so stupid. And this guy was such an expert. He knew what questions to ask, to know what, what exact tools to bring. And he was confident enough to ditch everything else. I mean, right. it, it was shocking. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Everybody in school, not everybody, but a lot of students do seem like they're going to the hardware store and buying a lot of tools and those tools do have a purpose but do you know when and where to use them is really the the magic sauce right yeah and i think the yeah no that is like a perfect analogy that that describes what's going on perfectly and and then i think the new breed of student too it's about getting a certificate or saying you you did something versus like really understanding the the concept or the idea I mean, MPI for me would be a good example. I mean, we literally saw 30 spine seminars when I was a student and the current students like, oh, I've seen one spine seminar. Therefore, I, you know, I already know that material, you know? So, and I think there's been like, kind of like a, uh, people have forgotten the art of the apprenticeship, you know, like where, I mean, you just got to understand when you get out, you basically know nothing, you know, even, even our best students coming out right now. I mean, as good as they're coming out, as far as attending a lot of seminars, they just, you know, they just haven't seen a thousand people yet to know like how to navigate their way through cases. So it's kind of interesting. You kind of laugh a little bit when you're, when you're dealing with a young clinician who, uh, I'm not going to say they're cocky, but sometimes they're, you know, they kind of think they got some stuff figured out, but um, that, that's kind of the other trend that I see that, uh, that maybe it's not great. Maybe. So, yeah. Well, it's funny. Like as you, you know, if you have a big workshop and you buy more tools and more tools and more tools, there is an inherent confidence of like, oh, when the problem comes along, I do have the spanner wrench or whatever, but it's like, uh, well, 
I'll, I'll say it a different way. My friend Jason Glass would say, like, the best coaches in the world need open space. That's it. I don't care what you're training, what sport you're training. Give me open space. And he said, like, you know, it, one step up, give me a folding chair for each person. I'll do a full workout. You know, I'll hit whatever you need. Just give me one folding chair and open space for everybody. Like, a few tools in the right place, you know? I don't need to go down to the rogue headquarters of the Perform Better Warehouse and, like, offload seven seven trailers full of stuff. And in doing so, it doesn't make you any better. It's actually distracting uh, sometimes, you know? And I, I see that confusion pop up in a lot of people's minds, you know? Like, and uh, anyways, I don't want to go down this path no, too no, much. That's a really good point because, like, you know, you know, our theme has always been, like, make it a problem for me or for us, and then we'll solve it, meaning you know, if you blow this up, if you, if you can blow the gym situation up, then we'll get you the equipment or we'll get you the nice facility. But until you've, you know, started a movement, then, you know, you, you know, the whole build it and they will come doesn't really work in, in our field. <laughs> it's a, it's a great way to go broke as many people have proven. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Talking about these these amazing providers you've seen, and, and certainly you are uh, very experienced yourself. One thing that I I think is a demonstration of confidence is kind of what are some things you're willing to get away from, or what are some tools you're willing to leave behind until they absolutely show their their need. And you know, as I talk to more and more great providers, for example, I think when you're young, a young young in your clinician. Uh, years, you don't value the history nearly like you think you learn later to do it, right? But on the other hand is there's this big movement and, you know, I, I love the SFMA and we're like, don't chase pain. So all these pain-based history questions maybe aren't the right questions. And so people go, well, I don't want to know about your pain, blah, blah. And so they start ditching the history and then at some point, but I've never met a, an experienced clinician that would give up the history. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it's just not no, happening. I, I do agree with that. I, I think the history, um, and I would 100% agree with in the, the person who basically started that was a guy named James Syriax, mm-hmm. uh, medical doctor. And he talked about like, you know, the exact way to ask your questions and, and what that ends up doing, Josh, I think is it ends up saving you a lot of time in your, in your examination and gives you some direction uh, because again, you know, the the secret to being good at what we're doing is assessing the patient really, really well. So, I mean, if we have all these different, you know, systems of assessment, it becomes, you know, tricky to know, like, when to use what at the right time. And the history is the first part that, like, kind of starts to direct what assessment you're actually going to do on, you know, with them. So, you know, I think taking the history is is vitally important. And I think also people are so used to like playing on their phones and their devices, like really, really getting good at like active listening. So really letting the patient at least know that you're, you're really there and you're actually listening to, to what they're saying. And then asking the right questions, I would call it building rapport with the patient immediately. And that's probably the, the, one of the best things early on to do with a patient is I call it the two R's uh, to build rapport and then to offer reassurance to, you know, to let them know that they're in the right place. We're going to be able to help them. And if I can't help you, I'm going to get you to the right spot. That's awesome. Uh, going back to Syriax, uh, obviously somebody made a name for himself, possibly because no one can spell his last name. So that also helps, <laughs> you know. I mean, Winchester is pretty simple. People know who you are, but. You have messed you know, that up if you try. Yeah. Uh, 
can you give us an example of a question that can be asked correctly or incorrectly, like the same, essentially the same question and how much it changes? Yeah. I mean, I think like one really important question, like just from the very beginning, maybe the first question you can ask them, and this would be an open-ended question would be, why are you here? Why are you here to see me? Because then that kind of opens up like, you know, all the possibilities, like whether or not, because they might actually be a functional medicine case, which, Mm. you know, we run a multidisciplinary practice here. So sometimes like I'm just directing traffic. So, you know, like, judging by what they say, it's always kind of fascinating because sometimes you're like, well, I had no idea that's why you were here. Like after reading your paperwork, but then after they verbalize it, I think that's like a really good uh, leading question. If we're talking about treatment, I think some real simple things are just, you know, what are positions that help you? I mean, if we're talking about a low back, one of the first things I always ask is if I gave you the option, would you rather sit for 30 minutes or would you rather go on a mile walk? So like I give them like exact scenarios to like, you know, to kind of think Mm. through and uh, that is already starting to give me some information on their directional preference. And uh, one of my secret gold medals, I think for me personally is like, I I do, I just notice everything. Like as far as human behavior, I notice whether they came in with someone else, like their spouse is with them. They're 25 years old. That's a little bit weird. If your spouse is with you and you're 80 years old, well, that's not so weird. You know, like, how they filled out the paperwork, all those little things, I think like just give you, and you're almost like a detective, you know, you don't really, you may not, you know, necessarily use every piece of information, but you gather all the information and then you, you know, kind of make decisions uh, accordingly from that. And then I think too, um, being able to walk into the treatment room and have, you know, I would just call it tact to know like, what does this patient want from me today? And instead of like it feeling like uh, like I'm I'm selling a timeshare where you front load <laughs> this, you know, like the patient may very well spend ten thousand dollars with us this year, but if I can set it up the right way over time, then they'll happily do it. But if you know, if you don't, if you come in too strong in the beginning, I think you immediately push people away, and and mm-hmm. and I would be in that same category, you know if you started aggressively start talking finances before you've even talked about my case, I, I'm out of there. You know, like that's going to get me, get me squeamish. Yeah. That's, <laughs> uh, I like the timeshare analogy. My wife and I, when we first got married, our parents gave us a trip to Kauai, you know, so my mom gave us airfare. Her parents gave us the hotel. It was great. And we were both chiropractic students. So we went to a week in Hawaii with, we saved up all our money and had $1,500. So <laughs> which we thought was a ton of money until we were, you know, the second so day in Hawaii. <laughs> we literally walked on foot. Luckily there was a Costco within walking distance and we walked back to her hotel with like a stack of six of those chicken Caesar salads. Cause it was like, this is all we can afford to eat for the next <laughs> five days. But the funny thing was to maximize our spend, we went to a bunch of timeshare presentations cause they would give you like a trip or something, you know, and we're like, yeah, we're a young married couple. We're both doctors and their eyes light up. You know, they do like the move that Richie Rich's dog did where his eyes pop out as dollar signs. And it, so we got to go on this like helicopter tour and ATV tour and all this, but we had to sit through these horrible presentations with overly pushy people, you know. So, and then when you tell them no, it's so funny how rude they get, you know, yeah. after. Yeah, and then they go, don't don't make a decision yet, Brett. Let me, I'll tell you what. I'm going to get my manager and bring him over. He He's been on so many more of these wonderful vacations and gone to Scotland and they start telling you all the possibilities of where you could go and everything. It's like, no, I don't, I don't care. Like 
Don't bastard. need to know. Leave me yeah. alone. Not to them, baby. Like <laughs> they're of the Harvey Weinstein uh, uh, idea of no does not mean no. It just means I haven't thrown the right meat on the uh, at the lions here. It's it's crazy. So, anyways, but um, going back to the clinical stuff, you know, in your career right now, what would you say are maybe two things you feel confident, you know, moving away from or not doing in patient care that you used to all the time include or Maybe you wait till the second half of care or you're like, yeah. so for example, like when I got out of school, people were still doing a lot of modalities, right? And like having the confidence to not have a Chattanooga E-STEM ultrasound machine in your office is like, oh, same thing with x-ray, right? Like every chiropractic office in the 80s had an x-ray machine, every one of them. Yeah. And now it's rare. Uh, what are some things you're seeing that you're kind of moving away from? Well, I think, um, you know, imaging is definitely one of those interesting things. Like, I mean, if you're dealing with, you know, professional or, or, you know, athletes in general, like sometimes you need to know, but I think, you know, and I really literally call it the lost art of the physical examination. And actually mm-hmm. Jake Andrews was talking about this when you're down there, even in the orthopedic world, like these young orthopedists or these young chiropractors like they're not as good with their hands as they, as they really should be. Mm. And uh, James Andrews, he told us, uh, well, he, well, his fellows here in St. Louis, and he was working a, a game for him down in, uh, down in uh, Birmingham. And the fellow told me that, uh, you know, he, you know, they thought this football player had torn their ACL on a Friday night. And uh, so he's, so uh, Dr. Andrews asked him, you know, so, you know, did you order the MRI, things like that? Or he said, did you, you know, what did his physical exam show? And he's like, well, I didn't do one because it was so obvious that he tore his ACL. And James Andrews told him, he's like, you don't even need the MRI. He's like, as long as you can do a good physical examination, then you'll know that he tore his ACL or whatever. So, um, you know, I think that the lost art of being able to not rely too much on the imaging as a crutch would probably be, you know, in my, in my career. And then, I think too, like working with the athletes, like understanding when a passive modality does and can make sense, you know, like there's so much good technology now. It's a little bit different than, um, than, you know, like interferential and ultrasound and diathermy, like what, what you and I kind of grew up with, but like now there actually is, I mean, between like lasers and, uh, shockwave and hyperbaric oxygen and you know, PEMF, blood restriction. Like, yeah. yeah. So like, I think that is, it's kind of interesting to see some of those, you know, kind of come in and, and how those can help. And then the other ones that, that obviously cannot. So uh, I would say though, to answer the question directly would be probably the imaging, you know, you're, con- you're feel like you're confident that most of the time you don't need it. And I guess the other flip side is when you do need it, you absolutely freaking need it. A hundred percent. And Michael Shacklock, he's got a great quote. He says, uh, the imaging isn't really the problem. It's the education off of the imaging that's, mm. you know, can be problematic. So, yeah. but, I mean, if you have access to the imaging, I think that, um, you know, it, it does help you quite a bit because you can, it, I mean, it tells you where they might be prematurely degenerating a joint or, you know, so mm. you always want to look at it. If it's there, it's probably just the, Uh, you know, if we're talking about just the average low back case too, I mean, they did research that the paper came out in 2013 that basically showed if you order an MRI on the first visit, the average cost of the case is essentially $13,000, you know? So 
it's not really the MRI that's adding so much to the bill. It's all the downstream costs because of the mm-hmm. education off the MRI. Right. And it, and the, the, the sneaky thing there is if you get that MRI early or any imaging, most people will buy off on whatever you say from that moment and they'll identify as having a problem where, you know, we know those, that Im- those imaging findings may have been there for the last 20 years. But now they're they're real. They're you know they've been objectified, and therefore we have a problem. And that that's a, the the thing that I, I think people lose sight of too with that imaging. Like I've had people where they go into full meltdown mode. Like I have a you know two millimeter herniation L four five. All right, well I'll tell my wife I'm going to be in surgery soon. It's like slow your roll, homie. Like we're we're okay. We got a lot of options. Like there's a long path between here and there. You know, oh, yeah. you know, I heard a great story. One of my buddies was telling me because now ultrasound is, you know, so many people have ultrasound in their offices now. And what he's been doing is he'll ultrasound the other, let's just say, patellar tendon that's non-painful, knowing it's going to look exactly the same. And like <laughs> how he, you know, you know, how he can educate him. Actually, Tom Lotus in Chicago at Rush is really good at this. He's a chiropractor that's in the hospital orthopedic system there. Mm-hmm. And so he'll educate because every patient there has been imaged. So he'll actually encourage them off the imaging instead of like scaring them, you know, and uh, it's really, it's really powerful, you know, to do it that way. Yeah. I know uh, David Graber, who I I know you, you know, shared a a great study and it was, you know, when you have a painful shoulder, I can't remember if it was impingement or rotator cuff or I think it was impingement. And then they, they did an MRI of the non-affected side or the non-painful side. And it's like 93% of the time they're identical, you know? Yeah. It's just one. Yeah, I know. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, along with that, kind of piggybacking on this discussion of, of those things, what are some things that, you know, at the start of your career, you thought, oh, this is stupid or these are dumb, uh, that now you're like, oh man, I can't believe it. Or, or maybe a course, you know, like, um, I'll tell you my two, two examples of this for me. Uh, the first time I saw people swinging Indian clubs was at a Perform Better seminar, you know, Summit. Yeah. I'm like, what, what, is this a marching band trial? Like, what the hell's going on in here? <laughs> and I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. You guys are playing with toys, right? And then I started hearing some really smart people talk about how it was. And I'm like, okay. So I tried it for like four weeks, you know, three times a week for four weeks. Just doing like, I had like maybe three patterns I learned off of a crappy burned DVD from, uh, who's that guy? Thomas. Not Tom Hyde. It's the other Thomas. Anyways. He's like the the American father of Indian clubs. He brought him to the U.S. And uh, it was unbelievable how good your shoulders feel after you play with, you know, Indian clubs for a while. It was just oh, shocking. 100%. And, um, but I, I mean, I hated those things at first. And then the second thing for me was, I always say this, like, I remember way back in the day, Charlie Weingroff told me about DNS. And I'm like, I, could, he, I couldn't quite grasp what he was talking about. And I went onto the website, and this is the old website. So it's like kids in diapers are naked. And I'm yeah, like, you know, weird. and it's like horrible pictures and a ton of writing. I'm going, Charlie, is this a cult? Like, what are you, you know, <laughs> what is this? It didn't even, I couldn't even like grasp, like, what is the concept here? And now looking back, like it's, it's an incredible low tech method of, of rehab, you know? Um, and so those two things are the, kind of the top of my list, Indian clubs and DNS of like, when I first saw them, I was like, this is, there's no way anybody's going to do this. Like why would he do this? And then they became popular. So how about you? Can you think of a couple things that you have uh, warmed up to over the years? 
I think, I mean, like in my career, I definitely went through a phase where I thought like soft tissue work wasn't as important. Like starting off, I was huge, huge in the like active release. And then I went through a phase where, you know, I mean, I was still doing soft tissue work, but then I'd say like probably in the last, you know, three to five years, I've had a little bit of resurgence of kind of understanding like where that modality actually fits and, you know, whether it's, you know, stecco fascial manipulation, ART or tool assisted grass and whatever it might be, I, it definitely has its role. So I would say over time, I've, I've come to appreciate the soft tissue techniques more than maybe that I did five or 10 years ago. Um, I think I also have learned to appreciate that I can't change function in a couple visits. Like I, when I first started, like I literally thought I could fix everybody in two or, two or three visits and then now I, I really am uh, honest with myself and, you know, and honest with the patient too on like to truly change function, you know, it, it literally takes time. And I mean, the analogy I always give my patients is it's like you don't put braces on your teeth and you wake up the next day and your teeth are exactly the way that we want them, you know? So, you know, when we're, when we're making these change with the body, it can, it can take time. Uh, obviously we can have a really quick strike in pain. That's, uh, that's relatively easy to do with all the techniques that are out there, but to truly, truly, and honestly change function on a patient, I think is, uh, is challenging. And then over the years, I think I've just got, I, I kind of knew it from the beginning, but I've gotten better at having the confidence and the certainty to be able to, uh, convey that to the patient. I think those are both great because I've, you know, as I learned dry needling, I noticed I, I stopped doing as much hands-on soft tissue and then I realize there's some gaps here, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to hide those gaps because my thumbs hurt, my hands hurt. I don't want to do the hands-on technique. So I'll just drop a couple needles and, you know, and uh, get the same results, but you can't get the same result. You can get good results, but it's not the right. same. So I've, I've gone through that as well, but you remind well, me in your story of, I, I remember hearing Mike Boyle talk about uh, when his wife's like, Hey, we need to go to counseling and, you know, couples counseling or whatever. And he's talking about it. And he's like, okay. He's like, and he says, I'm driving to the first one thinking, I mean, I don't know how much this is, but there's no way we need more than like two or three of these visits. That's it. You know, <laughs> he's like three years yeah. later of once a week, you're like, I think we're making a little bit of progress now. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We well, have, this, think, like, we have this idea helps. like, oh, if I treat you a couple times, Brett, you'll be fine. And you certainly can make a big change. Like, I don't think you're saying there's no change. It's just, are you truly changing function? And in Mike Boyle's case, are you truly you know, developing a, a a happy, fulfilling marriage is a lot different than, you know, let me just learn a tool to not get in knockdown drag on arguments, you know? Well, and I mean, that's where like practicing in a relatively small town has been really beneficial for me because being able to like run into all my patients, you know, and like truly seeing like two years later, you know, like, you know, what they ended up doing, did they end up with a surgery? Did they end up doing something else? And when you're young, you think you've literally fixed everybody. And then, you know, you start running into your old patients. And like, if you're honest with yourself and you start, you know, asking them questions, you'll find that like they've moved on and they've done other things and they've, they've essentially cheated on you. So you might as well be there to manage it. And I think the, the case that gets away from all chiropractors is the case where you don't have a miracle in the first week or two but you also know is not going to have an orthopedic surgery. So that, that person is falling into a black hole. And that is really the patient that we really need to be focusing on changing function on 
And, uh, and that's the one that that's a patient that kind of gets away from, um, a lot of chiropractors. Yeah. When I was, uh, I love telling stories, but when I was young, I had this amazing martial arts instructor and he was like, uh, very early into the idea of like the UFC style or MMA mixed martial arts. You know, he was trained in traditional arts and then he got his ass kicked at something. So he's like, show me how you kick my ass. And you know, Oh, this is called Brazilian jujitsu. Cool. I want to learn it. And then he got in a bar, you know, got in a fist fight in a bar and a guy broke his nose and he said, I need to learn American boxing because this sucks. And so he start essentially when you got into classic Yata point, he would do this presentation like every few months. And he's like, Hey guys, you know, the number one way to not get your nose broken, people are like, Oh yeah, you got to learn some blocks or you got to learn a counter. It's like, no, 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 stop. When you finish my class, when you have a black belt, I want you to know the way to win is to not get into fights. All right. <laughs> and everybody's like, look around like, wait, we're at a martial arts school. And you know, you're talking about that mixed martial arts. He's like, I know what I'm going to tell you. I want to prove to you why you shouldn't get in fights. I'm like, what, what is this guy saying? So then you do like all these drills and everything. And, and he's like, now if somebody comes at you like this, here's what you do. And if somebody comes at you like that, here's what you do. And here's a counter to this move. And here's a counter to this move. And he created these amazing fighters. But at the end of almost every class, he would do something where he'd beat you. And then he'd like pinch your nose, slap your face, pull your ear and go, that hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. That's why you don't get in fights. And then he'd let you go. You know, so it's like the, the master is saying the easiest way to win a fight is not to get into him. But that's going to be really hard to do for the next couple of years. Or, you know, that's going to be really hard to do if you grow up in inner city or something like that. So let me show you what to do if you do get into one. But in yeah. the end, it's like, and I think that's true. Like if you see a guy sitting at the bar with like cauliflower ears and a couple scars on his face. Don't uh, mess with him. Yeah. It's like the best way to win against this guy is to never start. <laughs> yeah. Know? No, I, that's, uh, that's good advice. And then, uh, but what's funny in, uh, in what you and I do I remember Mark King uh, telling me, he's like, do not open up a satellite office. Do not open up a satellite office. So as much as I knew it, I still did it. And then I ended up walking away from it uh, just because too much. But uh, And then what was hilarious was then a couple of years ago, he was looking into doing it. And I'm like, Mark, you told me never to you know, open up a satellite office. So I think the what ends up happening is you almost got to learn your, your lessons the hard way. You know, I mean, I think yeah. that's, that's just kind of human nature, but yeah, you, I mean, there's no listen to people who've made mistakes. It'll make your life a lot easier. Yeah. As a, uh, I remember I had the pleasure one time I was down at TPI and, um, God dang it. Who's that? There's a, a very famous surfer. Kelly Slater was down there yeah. getting fit for clubs. Right. And, um, just, if you just watch that guy, it's like watching a leopard move almost. Like you, the, the the kinesthetic awareness of every place where his fingers are and his toes are is just unbelievable. When he grips a club and everything, and it's just like, whoa, this is different. Anyways, um, he made the comment, uh, you know, everybody wants to, everybody wants to surf big waves, but nobody wants to get pounded by a big wave. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, man, like everybody wants a f- successful satellite office, but they don't want to go through the 18 hour, 20 hour days of not making money and still setting it up and mopping two floors at night and, you know, scheduling patients in two different places and giving up nights and weekends. You know, uh, the younger generation's not great at that. I mean, because as you know, I get that question a lot of like, you know, how do you work with a, you know, a a professional team or a college or something like that? And it's like, well, why don't you start with the local eight year old baseball kid there? 
you start doing a great job with that. And then, then we can talk, but they want to, you know, they want to come out and just start in that situation. And it's literally just not, it's not possible. Yeah. And who, who would ever trust you? Like, right. Why would they ever trust you? I mean, if, if they're willing to trust you with their premier pitcher and you're straight out of school, you're, that's not their premier pitcher. They might tell you that, but they're full of shit because nobody's going to like trust the, the number one prized asset to an unproven, unproven, un- unexperienced doctor or whoever, you know? Well, the one thing though, I mean, if you, if you just pay attention though, not just in chiropractic and everything, mm-hmm. like if you're, you know, world-class or best in the world at what you're doing, people are going to find out. Like you give yeah. yourself enough time. It may take longer if you're in a smaller town versus like downtown New York. But you just don't continue to be great, and, you know, over and over and not have somebody notice along the way. It's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, and I hope a couple people hear this uh, and take away some things. All right. Uh, if you have time, I got a couple more questions. Are you good? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You are a very experienced guy. You are... You've seen it all. You've had to filter out a bunch of crap, and you've kept a lot of great things. But looking back, if you could set up a pathway for somebody that is like zero to three years into practice, right? I want to kind of do a little lightning round here, and I'm going to force you. You got to choose one or the other. Yeah. I know that with your, <laughs> you know, the what's the saying? The most scientific answer to any question is, it depends. <laughs> I'm but, getting to where I hate that answer. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody does. I mean, I remember when I was a, a young clinician, the thing I hated the most was, hey, man, it takes time. And I was like, no. The reason I go to weekend seminars and I stay up and I try different things and I experiment and do this because I don't want to take time. But in the end, looking back now, it takes time. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. Maybe there's some times you can leapfrog a couple steps, but man, you still got to climb the ladder. So, all right. Here's my, here's my lightning, lightning round of questions. Zero to three years, somebody coming out. And let's just assume, I mean, you got some superstars coming in your clinic, right? But you're probably seeing the peak of the pyramid. So let's say that they're top third of the pyramid. They've taken a few courses, you know, outside of, of chiropractic college. They're, they're willing to mix it up and try, you know, treat people and, you know, outside of their family. And they're, they're applying their craft. So motivated, you know, but maybe not... Uh, Maybe not the ones that come in have taken more DNS courses than you have, you know? <laughs> right, right. All right. So zero to three years. Would you recommend that they work for somebody or start their own? I think the the biggest difference now, too, is just even like what's going on with banking. You know, like it's so hard now. Like when I got out 20 years ago, you know, the banks were basically fighting over, you know, to give me money. Whereas now it's become so difficult for people to, to get money. And uh, I just think like, you know, uh, when I used to be at Logan, I used to ask the triates, I'd, I'd say, you know, who's opening their own practice and 80% of the room, you know, would say they are now it'd be less than 5% probably. So I think, you know, you know, especially like in this evidence-based group, everybody like is, you know, feeling the need to try to like go to their, wherever they're about to go and still be able to learn and do things. So I think like if you can get the right setup, um, that be financially and just have the right culture and be part of something that that's, you know, bigger than yourself. I love the idea of group practice. And then some people, you know, some people are just going home to small towns and stuff like that. So it makes sense. So, um, 
I think it, it's, it's pretty challenging right now, though, for a student to like get out because the other big thing, like I was $40,000 in debt and I was petrified. The students now are $200,000 in debt and they're actually okay with it. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, they, they just don't it's have the, the capital to, to do it. So I think it's like just a different time. I would probably recommend starting off uh, in a good associateship probably. Yeah. I would I would do the same thing. There's so many other systems and stuff you have to learn besides patient care. It's just it's overwhelming. So, all right, and next up, now, I mean, especially like with insurance. I mean, there's so much that goes on with uh, with like running an office. You know, I mean, I just yeah. think that like it's hard to you know wrap your brain around it until like you you see it. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think all right for most people that makes more sense. This is the slowest lightning round ever. So we're gonna yeah. pick it up for these next well, couple yep. questions. All right. Next step, zero to three years. Should somebody master their adjusting skills or master the soft tissue skills? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we're chiropractors, you know? So I always use the analogy of like, you don't wheel into McDonald's and ask for a Whopper, you know? So if somebody thinks they're coming to a chiropractor and you can't deliver that service, um, I would say, I think I got to go with manipulation on that one. Yeah. I, I do too. And the reason for it is manipulation will cause soft tissue changes on a large scale. The opposite is not true. If you have a stiff joint, you can do whatever you want around it, you know? So, and I agree with you. Like we're chiropractors. The only two things that we can do that no one else can do really is diagnose and adjust. So do it. Yeah. 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 All right. Now it's this one's a hard, the way I said it. yeah, I think this one's a harder question. Would you rather zero to three years have somebody master their soft tissue hands-on treatment skills ART, Steco, uh, whatever soft tissue method they want, or learn really good rehab? You know, when you're early, early on, you know how patients like clamor for soft tissue techniques and things like mm-hmm. that. So maybe if we're talking about that three-year window, mm-hmm. that's probably a, a good idea because I think like it would help you maybe grow your practice quicker. Um, but then over time, I think what like a rehab principle like DNS allows you to do is it allows you to understand why the soft tissues are tight. So, you know, if you made me say, I would say probably learn the soft tissue techniques and then maybe incorporate the rehab techniques after that, maybe. All right, cool. All right. Now let's talk about the person that's like, they've been in practice for five years and they're on their own. All right. So they have control over their physical setup and all that. All right. So these questions are going to be more physical setup, uh, experienced doctor, they know how to speak to patients, they know how to answer the phone, they know how to schedule them, whatnot. Right. All right. Would you rather have an office with three private rooms or a total open space with three tables in an, in an open area, like a, a rehab area? Um, in, in like, if you're still going to be in the environment of you know, being a primary care physician, which is what, you know, we, we do here. Yeah. I still think the treatment room makes sense uh, for, for ours. Now we have, we kind of have a hybrid of both. Um, but like some of these new Kairos, I mean, they're, what they love to do is, I mean, they want to be immediately swinging kettlebells with patients and yeah. things like that. So if that's their model that they're like going towards, I then I think the open environment can be, can be really good. But like, you know, I see so much difficult chronic pain cases to where there comes a time where I got to be able to, you know, yeah. shut the door and, you know. Yeah, I get that. Like there, there are definitely times where you want a private office and whatnot. 
I think the reason I'm asking these questions this way is because it's a thinking exercise, right? Because you could argue it either way. For you sure. Know? If you don't have the money, then keep it open. Like, don't pay for, like, I wouldn't invest $50,000 to put walls in an office if that's your last 50000 You know what I'm saying? You no, make, exactly. Make but I mean, do I think with a lot. Too, it just yeah. depends on like people have different passions. You know, like some mm-hmm. people just, I mean, that is their, their huge passion. I'm still, I mean, I like to work out as much as the next person. And, you know, but I, in our office situation, I like to kind of divide the gym and the doctor. I'm still kind of a big fan of chiropractors being primary care physicians and like yeah. understanding like what that delineation is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that would probably be my bias, honestly, but that doesn't make that right. You know, it right. depends on what you're into. So along those lines of being a primary care physician, again, you're five years in, you're an experienced chiropractor, maybe five to 10 years in. Would you, if you're starting over today, Brett, and you had no office, would you rather rent two 10 by 10 rooms inside of a well-used, exciting gym. So, okay. you know, they're, they're attached. You dump right out onto the exercise floor. People see you, you get exposure. Or- Are there nice gyms or they're- Yeah, like a gym you would go to. Like, yeah. you know, uh, okay. I'm not saying some dingy ass, like, you know, Iron Palace or something Garage, like that. Yeah. 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 Um, or rent the office next to the busiest uh, primary care family practice MD in your town. Like physically in the office space, you're attached, you share a wall, but you know, the hallway, it's a open hallway. Uh, do I still have access to being able to like work out with the patients and things like that in the, in the B option or not? When you say work out with, what do you mean? Uh, can I have a gym in there? No, it's, it's no. private offices set up like a, uh, it's a dentist moved on. And so you're taking over the, you know, I'm trying to think of something that's already divided, but <laughs> yeah, this is, whoa. Uh, to start off with, I'd probably go with option B and then, you know, next to the MD. five years in, then, you know, that five-year mark. I mean, I think though, back to the previous question, we you do got to be careful to where you're not, I, in my opinion, like looking only like a trainer because that could also maybe, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's an important point. I mean, you know, Kevin Christie, he and I always talk about like, you have to resist this thing where you're just a high, uh, highly educated personal trainer. Like that's not what we are, you know? Right. And people fall into that trap because we like exercise. It feels good. It certainly works well with patients, but you got to find something else. So, yeah. All right. So let's say that you have a, a fairly large rehab area in your gym. So let's say it's about the size of a two car garage, 20 by 20. Right. And this is in your office and you have your, we're moving on from all the other options. You're at the five year mark, Right. Would you rather have squat racks and the associated barbells and bumper plates or a thick padded floor like a martial arts studio where people are barefoot on their hands and knees, they're moving in primal movements? Well, I mean, I, th- I would say that you need implements for training the athletes. You know, you just do. Like for what we're doing, like if you don't have weights, then it's going to be hard to, you know, get people stronger. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of the question though, because I also like the idea of having the open space to do some stuff. So if we were talking. And and interestingly, if you think about a squat rack and bumper plates and everything, you're about 3000 to $5,000 in depending on the quality, right? And if you look at the price of high quality, thick padded flooring, you're about three to $5,000 
which is why I asked this question. I'm not saying like, would you rather, you know, shitty carpet or a squat rack? Like that's not, you know. Right. Yeah. I think uh, for what we're doing here, I would definitely answer that question with uh, option A with the weights. Okay. It's interesting because throughout these questions, you, you make the point like we're primary care, you know, but at some point it switches over to like athletes, you know? And, uh, and I think for a lot of people, if you weren't dealing with athletes, if you're just dealing general pop, would you still go with the weights? So you're working with your 65 year old guy injured his back shoveling snow. You're working with a school teacher who's, you know, 38 and, uh, has some neck pain, those types, not you're getting a, a, you know, a kid from a triple A ball club that needs him to throw tonight. I mean, it's, it is hard because like here we have stenosis groups that yeah. literally come in here and deadlift and lift weights. And yeah. like, that's part of the empowerment of, you know, what they're doing. Yeah. Now we have a back part of our office that is kind of what the, the option a, so we're a little bit spoiled on, you know, that. So it's hard for me to. And when I say a, a two car garage, that's large enough to have both. You can have a good section of padded floor and you can have a good area of weights. Right. Uh, but I just like asking the thought question of one or the other. Yeah, I, I think I'd take the weights. Um, okay. But in saying that, I am definitely think like you can, you know, there's this new movement, as you well know, of like, we just need to load everybody up, you know, like, and I'm definitely not in that camp either. So mm-hmm. um, I would probably pick the weights though if I had to. Okay, cool. All right. Um, modalities. Five years in, you got a good ability. Well, let's say you're 10 years in now, right? So would you rather have a soft tissue technique in your office or a high-end modality. So I'm saying like a $35,000 light cure laser or a PEMF or whatever. Mm -hmm. And along with that, which one would you have if it's option B? I would, I would choose the soft tissue technique and my choice for that would probably definitely be active release just because that was such a huge influence of me. Um, you know, like to me, I guess, cause I'm kind of a uh, old school, like I, I love to palpate and feel things. Yeah. So active release, you know, I never, I don't use a lot of tools, although some of the docs here do quite a bit mm-hmm. and they can feel through the tool and things like that. But for me, I like that I can actually palpate it and feel it. And, uh, and I mean, it is like Mike Leahy told me 20 years ago, he said, you can start a practice with only doing three ART moves. He said, if you can learn how to do the subscapularis, the, uh, the iliopsoas, and the pronator teres, that's all you need to do, and you will have a huge practice. So, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, Unfortunately, those are in three separate ART courses that you will have to invest a ton of money in. But yeah. That's no, another but, story. Yeah, no, but I, I did the same thing. I mean, I was fully ART certified uh, within a year of graduation. So I took two in, in school and one after, and it certainly started me on that path too. It, and it, people love it. They, they still love it, you know? So, all right. So continuing education class, right? And think about it large scale. You have the, the money, let's say you have, I don't know how much Con Ed is now, three grand, four grand. So hotel, flight, food, and the course. And let's just assume that nothing, no course is going to be more expensive than the next, right? Zero to three years. Most important class you think mo- that, those doctors should take and you can qualify if you want of uh, that you don't see them taking. So one that you think flies under the radar or most important in general. Right. 
Uh, let me do it this way. So when you're in chiropractic college, I think MPI is the most important course you can take. Probably we'll call it spine. Okay. Um, then after that, I think like a non-negotiable. Pause, pause real quick. I think of that just from my outside perspective. And I, I did not, for whatever reason, I went to school in SoCal 20 miles from Len Fay's office and there was no MPI club. I never heard about MPI till I met Jason Holm in 2013. Right. So, but the one thing that I think is the best way to do it is that adjustathon, because it's you you can't learn to surf until you're in the water, right? And and seeing a bunch of bodies in one day is its own learning lesson. Forget what the technique is you're being told. Just feeling a bunch of bodies, a big guy, a small guy, a petite woman, a somebody with some scoliosis, somebody that has active pain, whatever. So I think I would include that if you're in chiropractic college, just go to an adjustathon and just get the freaking reps. Exactly. So uh, and then I think so. The, my non-negotiables would be MPI, DNS, neurodynamics, and uh, McKinsey. I mean, those are like four things that I think uh, MDT. What was the the last one you broke up a little bit? MDT, McKinsey. Okay, so let's go through those real quick. For those who don't know, who are starting out or are a little confused, um, DNS has a lot of options. DNS four. Baseball, golf, running, babies, mothers, you know, hemophiliacs, whatever. Which ones are you talking about specifically if somebody hasn't done any? Probably exercise one or A. The reason I say that, though, is because it gives you the explanation mm -hmm. of a lot of the other things that you're going to be treating. So it's going to give you an explanation of why there's trigger point in muscles, tension, tone, joint yeah. blockage. So it's kind of like that overreaching umbrella of why things are there. Yeah. Um, neurodynamics, because if you don't have that in your toolbox, there's a case today that you can't treat. So, And for everybody um, listening, neurodynamics is Michael Shacklock's course. So, Brett, you mentioned Shacklock a couple times. This is the course that that man teaches. Right. So, we don't use it all the time. I, don't, I definitely don't use it like every hour, even every two hours of my day. But when you do need it, it's an important tool to have, because if you don't have that tool, then you can't help the person in front of you. Much like we're saying with imaging, like when it's necessary, it's it's absolutely necessary. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, what we've learned from uh, the McKinsey world as far as directional preference, you know, if you can, whatever the joint on the body is, if you can find what the direction is that that uh, joint likes, I mean, you're well on your way to having a miracle with that patient in the next 48 hours, you know. So really being good at being able to sort through that system too, I think is beneficial and then, I mean, of course, you know, I love, you know, Gray Cook, his whole, his SFMA. I think that is also great for students. Um, dry needling, obviously we talked about ART, grass. And I mean, there's all things that can be added on, mm -hmm. but I do kind of have my core four. My core four are the ones that we, we mentioned previously. Can you repeat them again for everybody? Yep. Uh, MPI, DNS. MDT slash McKinsey, and then neurodynamics, those four. All right. And for every listening, MPI is? The Motion Palpation Institute. So um, we like to think we're the leaders in the industry and in teaching students and doctors on how to joint play, dynamically palpate, and then we have adjustments that match up to those uh, findings or palpation. So by the way, about 20 to 30% of the listeners on this podcast are physical therapists. And I get a lot of physical therapists at SFMA courses. Yeah. Are physical therapists welcome in those MPI courses? Not right now, just because of the 
the legal side of it. That may change over time, but as mm-hmm. of right now, it's uh, it's not it's not possible right now. Okay, cool. Well, I won't I won't send them that way then. Um, but there are people in the uh, PT world that are you know teaching good information and things like that. So they'll be able to probably find their somewhat equivalent in in their discipline for sure. Yeah, and. Yeah, like uh, for any PTs listening, like one place I always send people if you don't have any manipulation skills is James Dunning's courses. I don't know if you know yeah. James Dunning. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yep. yep. I mean, if, if there's no other place, that that's a good place to start. And he certainly offers enough around the country that you can probably stumble upon one. Yeah. Um, so and they've done their group's done some great research on uh, manipulation too. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they take it from a different perspective. You know, here we are as chiropractors, and we think. Uh, our profession is the only one that has, you know, it feels like somebody's foot is on our head, like holding us down. And right. he felt like, hey, man, that manipulation stuff works amazingly well, but nobody will ever tell me how to do it or teach me. You know, and so he went out and basically like, I'm going to figure this out. But it's funny, there's now a tradition in the company. I, I took a course recently and they don't tell you till like the last day where the course is actually being held, like to a day before the course, which is awesome to find a hotel nearby and stuff. Uh, and I was like, what's up with that? And he, oh, it's a tra- tradition in our company because we used to announce the events and then chiropractors would come protest the adjusting courses. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? God. We went out and protested? What a re- role reversal. This is awesome. Well, so, he, the big thing that his big contribution has been like kind of debunking the whole specificity of like an adjustment. So like when you mm-hmm. adjust a segment and you hear multiple pops and things like that. So, uh, you know, I definitely give him credit you know, for, it, you know, exposing that. And in every one of my manipulation presentations, his research is in there to kind of, yeah. uh, to kind of highlight that. And the interesting thing is when, when we talk about like, what are the requirements? Like if you look at his program, just because we're on the sidebar, it essentially comes back to exactly what you're saying. It's like, hey, you need really good manipulation school skills. So he teaches that because he couldn't find anywhere else. A soft tissue technique, he teaches dry needling because it was cutting edge at the time, you know. Uh, and then you need to have these other, like, essentially a rehab thing, like you're saying DNS, like you need to have a rehab thing. And it, it's like, oh, huh, that, you know, like he came to a totally different path and yet ended up in the same major bucket. Yeah. And I think like now that, you know, when I think of these young students that are, you know, our interns, people that are that are coming through here, I feel like the world and, and what we do can be so binary to mm-hmm. where like, you, you know, you can have a gym and still believe in manual therapy like that. Those two don't have to be like separate, you know? And for some reason, as time's gone along, people, it's almost like they're like picking sides on it. And it's, you know, it's kind of frustrating for me. It's like, yeah, you can still be a great manual therapist, understand rehabilitation and still understand strength and conditioning. That's all possible. Yeah. You can do it all under one roof, you know? Yeah. Like, it's funny because that transcends everything. For example, uh, you know, no matter what a business is, if you meet the founder and they're incredibly passionate about whatever it is, it's like that's probably a safe investment, regardless of what the, you know, you, oh, I want to see this much return and how many of your earnings and what's your ROI and everything. If there's no passion, it doesn't matter, right? So if you're, if you only have one of the skills that Brett's talking about, you only have DNS, but you're incredibly passionate about it, it'll probably work pretty damn good for a lot of things, even outside of its true scope, you know, like because just the human connection and the fact that we are like human beings working with human beings is so powerful and makes a huge difference. And people talk about the placebo, like maximize that bastard as much as you can use the hell out of it. It's free, has no side effects. 
you know, and it's like a smile and a handshake are incredible pain relief, you know? Yeah. And I mean, Epstein in his book, The Range basically talked about that. Like, do you, do you want to be the best in the world at ART? Like Mike Leahy, for example, he doesn't need to like learn anything else because he's so niched out at what he's doing. Right. Or are you better off to maybe not go all in on one, but accrue, you know, these different uh, modalities. Therefore you can treat more people. There's really not a right answer. Cause like you said, I mean, either one of those could be beneficial. Yeah. Um, I personally kind of like the idea of like in my career, I go on like deep dives into something for a, a little bit. So my last one was probably Stecco's fascial manipulation where, I mean, you know, for five months, I'm like really thinking long and hard about, you know, like where that fits in and things like that. But then I'm still doing these, you know, these other ancillary things. I think the mistake, though, is to not get good at anything, you know. So, yeah, like get a bunch of certifications of which you you can't even do any. So, right, yeah, yeah. And I, then the, the results will speak for themselves because I actually asked Lady on our podcast. I said, you know, people are starting to kind of question the mechanism of how active release is working, and he just kind of laughed. He's like. I got a waiting list of, you know, professional athletes who are basically trying to see me here. Like something's working, you know, like, so yeah. we may not exactly understand the mechanism, <laughs> but that doesn't mean we just throw it away. You know Dude, what I mean? Yes. Look, th- this one drives me nuts because I agree with you. Like we can't go so far as to claim things work that don't, and we can't dismiss things because we don't like them. Like we have to find that balance point, but I'm in this boat all the time. Like I tell people you should get your, older patients to foam roll. And they're like, oh, well, it's proven it doesn't stretch the IT band. I'm like, right. (laughs) You're missing the bigger picture. Number one, do older patients need to practice getting down on the ground and getting back up? Yes. Okay. Tell me another exercise where it's encouraging to get down in multiple positions and get back up. Okay. And then I'm like, second thing, our, our motor control system has like, you know, GTOs are their tension sensors, our, our, uh, our corpuscles, our pressure sensors, are you causing a change in that or just a wake-up of that system in areas that otherwise might, might not be touched five days out of the week, you know? Right. And it's like, yeah, okay. And then the third thing I always say is watch the positions people get in, especially when they're rolling their lower body. So, like, if you have them roll their IT band and their hips and their quads and everything – doesn't that look a lot like some of the developmental positions of, of DNS? Like I'm on my elbows, I'm switching to my side, I'm switching to the other side, I'm rolling over to my butt, like all these things. It's not perfect, but in 10 minutes, I can get a person to hit a lot of positions, get a lot of pressure change, get some sensation change, wake up their motor control system. And if they're sitting behind, they're working as an accountant sitting behind a computer for like the last 25 years, you're telling me that's not beneficial? Like, well, it doesn't change tissue length. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> And the other right. thing is people like it and I can send it home with them. And for whatever reason, especially older patients, I don't know if you see this, if you send them home with a foam roller, about half of them fall in freaking love with it and tell me, oh man, I do it every night when I'm watching TV now. Oh my What God. downside I mean, does that have? Yeah, oh, and I, but I mean like a foam roller just to keep thoracic mobility? Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah. there's no research to say that you shouldn't be doing that. You know, I mean, yeah. people that like hide around in these ivory towers, they they're not the ones who are out actually like listening to these patients and what they're saying and actually feeling the, the change. You yeah. know, so. Have you ever, there's a, there's a guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, you ever heard of him? He's like a no. marketing guy. Anyway, somebody somebody's was asking, what's the ROI of your Facebook guys? What's the ROI of this? What's your ROI of that when you're marketing? And he's like, dude, stop. What's the ROI of your mom? 
Like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's a perfect answer sometime. Like, why is Mike Leahy got a waiting list? Because it works. So, maybe we can't explain how it works, or we don't know exactly how it works, but it works. Well, what was interesting, because like there was some research that came out that said like soft tissue techniques are not doing what we thought. But then yeah. Antonio Stecco and actually with Leahy, he's currently talking about like some research they're doing that you are actually on ultrasound making a change in like how the layers of skin and fascia and muscle are sliding against one another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we did say that there was no research and now we're actually learning that we actually were five years ago saying that, you know, you can't lengthen muscle. Uh, last time we were with Thomas Shout, he showed us a paper where you absolutely can change sarcomere length with static stretching. It might take a long time, like 14 or 15 minutes, but you can change the length of muscle. So I would just say um, watch. I mean, we're all evidence-based and we're always into looking at research, but be very, very careful that, you know, you don't just throw everything out when you're, when you're looking at research. Yeah. I love it. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time, Brett, but uh, as we talk about continuing education, uh, you have a, a continuing education company now and you're welcoming people into your facility there in, in Troy. Um, what courses are you hosting? Are you most excited about hosting or which you've pulled any out of the woodwork that you're like, man, nobody knew about this person. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm making them famous. Um, yeah, I, I would say, I, I think Tom exposing Thomas Shout, which isn't really like in our gestalt right now, but yeah. down the road probably will be. I mean, I think that is huge. I, like, I think he's got, He's basically was bunkered up for 20 years without like being able to, you know, he was writing books, but didn't really have a platform to like discuss all his work. Um, I mean, DNS is running it out of here. I mean, I don't think you ever go wrong with, you know, uh, with the DNS course. We have uh, Lindsay Muma and Erica Bolin here this weekend teaching their uh, course on female health, which is just out of this world good. And uh, I mean, as far as like what's being done here, those are our big ones. Uh, Marcel is teaching a pediatric course here coming up. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're always, we're always open to, to new ideas. And, you know, the big thing is just how to implement it all, all together. So well, I, I look at you guys. Uh, so the, the company is Gestalt Education, right? It's gestalteducation.com? No H, Gestalt. Yeah, you had it. Okay. You're close. Gestalt. Yeah. Gestalt Education. But I look at you guys as like, uh, you're like those, those, agents that work around the NFL draft that are getting the, you know, everybody knows about the number, who's supposed to be the number one draft pick, but you guys are working with the, the Rob Gronkowski's and the, you know, ones that are like, you're like, Hey, I'm telling you, this is hot. And you won't realize that for three or four years. But I think that, you know, like Lindsay Muma, I'm, I'm pretty convinced is going to go, you know, big time. She'll be on Oprah someday. Well, there's no more Oprah, but, uh, she'll be on some show sometime. But you, you know, or Michelle, like any of these people where you're like, this made a huge difference. This has all the the bright spots I'm looking for. And then I think it's going to be in your facility. And then 10 years later, it'll be like, you know, selling out arenas and stuff, you know, like, this is awesome. So, well, it's, you know, like the, uh, besides the techniques, it's interesting, like, because we usually do get like the best like interns coming through here, too. So like you can almost just see greatness in these, in that younger generation. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's probably the other like real gratifying thing to, to kind of see is there is uh, the, these, these new students that are coming out who are different than, you know, the, 
the 95% that, you know, we don't like about that generation. I mean, they are a force to be reckoned with because they have a lot of knowledge, but they also understand technology and, you know, they, they have the best of both worlds and with a little bit of grit and uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be very good. Very yeah. good. What an exciting time, man. Well, I certainly appreciate it, Brett. If, if people want to reach out, ask you questions or find more information about you, what's, what's the best way? Uh, because of my age, I'm a big Facebook messenger guy. So that would be good. And then I'm, I'm getting better at Instagram. So that will, that'd be another place. And then my emails, bw at winspineandsport.com. So that would be the, the third place probably. All right. And what's the website for education? Uh, www.gestalteducation.com. All right. Awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate the time today. I hope everybody listening pulled a, a, a few gold nuggets out of here. I know I did. And, uh, you know, looking forward now, I feel like I have the next three years of uh, my continuing education that I need to take after just talking to you for half an hour or so. Well, I'll give you a plug Great. in return. So. I have nothing. I feel like I don't know anything. So this is fantastic. <laughs> well, I think that, like, I mean, every student coming out right now is wanting to have, like, a workout gym. Like, that's kind of the cool thing to say or, or do right now. Mm-hmm. Um please reach out to someone like Josh to, to help you with that because it, it is not as easy as people uh, think. So I think that would be well worth their time if they're going to head down that model. I appreciate it, Brett. All right. Well, on behalf of Dr. Brett Winchester, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. We've got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.